Good morning, Tuolumne Community Baptist podcast listeners. It's so good to uh, be here talking to you. I'm so glad that you're tuning in. Thank you so very much. Today is part seven of our vision statement. This is the final uh, part of the series of our vision statement, to see people saved, healed, set free, discipled, equipped, empowered, and today we're going to talk about serving. And you think, well, serving, that, Pastor, that'll be an easy, easy message. Well, it's a little more involved than you may think. But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to highlight all, all the messages. We're going to go back and kind of go over them all, um, and then we're going to finish up with the message on serving. I hope you enjoy. I hope you come out and visit us sometime here at Tuolumne Community Baptist. We'd love to see you. Uh, God bless you. And uh, we are having a baptismal service coming up in, in March. I think it's going to, I believe it's going to be March 22nd, a Sunday night baptismal service. If you're wanting to get baptized, please contact me here at the church, uh, or you can call my cell, 209-588-3939, and I'd love to talk to you about it, and we could get you tied into our baptismal service for that night. God bless you. I hope you enjoy the message, and come out and see us soon. This morning, we're in part seven of our vision statement. This is the final message of this series. Have you enjoyed it? I have certainly enjoyed it. I I pray that you guys are getting something out of this. But before we do, we're going to do it like we do every week. I'm going to start off, and then you guys got to say these words. I want you to say it loud enough to where they can hear you on the podcast so they know I'm not here by myself, okay? Our vision statement is to see people saved, Yes, amen. Good job. Good job. Well, this series is about to end, and my goal was to see that you were, have been educated in the realm of your spiritual growth. We were saved when we encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ, but understand, that was only the beginning. It's the starting point of this incredible journey And it's not only to make this life better here on this earth, but it's our guarantee of our ultimate goal, and that's heaven, and that's eternity with Jesus and with all the people that you love the most. So what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to review the last six messages, and I'm going to try to do this quickly because we do have communion at the very end. So part one, if you remember, was called Saved. We learned we are being saved, and that we will be saved, and that we have been saved. Well, Pastor, that sounds kind of confusing, but I think I broke it out pretty plainly in that message. The soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. This is where the process takes place. We're all in this process of renewing our minds. As we renew our minds to the living Word of God our will and our emotions will fall in line. Our soul is in that process of being saved. Our spirit is saved at the point of salvation. It's heaven ready. It's perfect. It has, it's the spirit of God living within us. And our bodies will be saved when we get to heaven. 
If you remember, I said, when I get to heaven, I'll be six foot tall and 180 pounds. About 33 years old. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Lesson number, uh, point number two, or part number two, was healed. This is the second word of our vision statement. And it's critically important that we understand many churches see people saved, but they never talk about seeing people healed and set free. In this message, we talked about our emotional healing as well as physical healing. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, to set liberty to those who are oppressed. When he said he came to heal brokenhearted, he didn't come to replace my heart valve. He was speaking of emotionally our brokenhearted, the things that have hurt us and set us back in life. And those who are oppressed, things that have gotten us down and these bondages that, that we have. And then we look at part three was set free. I love this message, set free. Here we found it is possible for a Christian believer to be in bondage. Jesus explains, he said, to anyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. And I showed you this word commit in the Greek is actually transmitted, translated as continued. This means if someone continues in a sin, he is a slave to that sin. This person is in bondage. It's, it's simple as that. It's also, I mentioned this in that message, it's any impulsive and compulsive behavior that restricts you from living in the enjoyment and the freedom that Jesus died to give us. So then we went to part four. I love this one too. It was discipled. I use the acronym that I hate, FAT. But let me tell you what it means. A means you're available. You are in a season in your life that will allow you to spend time with the person who is discipling you. Or if you're the discipler, you have the time to disciple someone. Do you find you're too busy to be discipled? Is your life, you're just not available to the one discipling you in order for them to put that investment into you? And part three of fat is T, teachable. Do you approach your understanding of the truth of God's word from a place of humility? Or are you a know-it-all? The life of a disciple is the life of a person who is learning and has a teachable spirit. And this is absolutely required, that we have a teachable spirit. Message number five was equipped. My job as your pastor is to equip you, the saints. We all need to be equipped right now, and this I mean this right now, I'm equipping you for the work of the ministry. But guess what? When I'm not doing this, I'm a saint. I'm just like you. I'm out there doing work. I'm ministering to people. I'm, I'm counseling people. I'm talking to people. I'm I'm leading people to the Lord. I'm praying with people. I'm encouraging people, inviting them to church. That's what saints do. Remember, we read in Ephesians 4.11. I think that's the next slide. There you go. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, 
some pastors and some teachers. Why did he do that? For the equipping of the saints. That's you and me. Why did he do that? For the work of the ministry. Why? For the edifying of the body of Christ. So many ministries talk about the five-fold ministry. We don't call it that. We call it the six-fold because without the saints, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers can't do the work. We need the saints. They're included in that list. It's a six-fold ministry. We're all in ministry. So then we went to message number six. This was a very powerful message. Empowered. This is a message where I did my very best to explain to you the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how it empowers us to be able to cast out demons, to be able to cast out the devil out of your homes, out of your lives, out of your children's lives. We must receive the Holy Spirit. We also learned that we're under the authority of the power of the Holy Spirit. And with this understanding, it helps us to live our lives in a closer relationship with Him. Well, how does that work, Pastor? Because we try not to grieve the Holy Spirit. I showed you scriptures where, where we can literally grieve the Holy Spirit by our actions. And then I ran out of time last week, but I wanted to give this one just to show you how dangerous it can be to operate outside of the authority of the Holy Spirit. It's a funny story, and yes, the Bible is funny. Take a look at Acts 19. 13 through 16. Then some of the itinerant, itinerant Jewish exorcists, did I say that right? Itinerant? I know what the word means. They were traveling. These guys traveled around casting out spirits. That's what they thought they were doing. Itinerant Jewish exorcists took upon themselves to call in the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exercise you in the name by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Verse 14, also there were seven sons of Sceva. This was a Jewish priest that had his seven sons who did also. And, this, and the evil spirit answered and said to them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. But who are you? If you don't know the Holy Spirit, you best not be out there messing with him, trying to cast out demon, uh, devils and demons if you don't have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. The man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That's pretty funny. You, know, you don't want to be running out of the house naked and wounded. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit because that's where our power comes from. When we're casting out demons out of our children, out of our houses, out of our, you know, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And I thank God that he has given us that power. So now we're at point, message number seven, which is serving. It seems like this should be the easiest of the series. I mean, serving. Come on, we all know how to do that. And you guys do a great job of it. This is a serving little church. Should be easy, right, Pastor? Well, let's look at it. It gets a little more difficult than that. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 says, 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Let me stop there. Isn't it awesome? The Apostle Paul considers himself a prisoner. He is that devoted and dedicated to the work of Jesus Christ that I'm his prisoner. I can't do it any other way. He says, but share, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Verse 9 says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. It's never according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Verse 10, it says, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Praise God. So here's the three points that I got out of this scripture. God saved us, he called us, he purposed us, and he graced us. Isn't that amazing? This is, this is in the nutshell. He saved us, he called us, he purposed us, and he graced us. He has saved us for his purpose. His calling is the gifts and talents that we have in our hands. His purpose is what he puts into our hearts. Each one of us has gifts and talents and we are serving with those gifts and talents. And sometimes, I don't know if there's anybody here I'm talking to, but sometimes we get discouraged. Because what we have in our heart seems like it's so much more than what we have in our hands. What the little bit that we do with our hands. We see ourselves oftentimes doing much more and wanting to be greater than we actually are. Maybe like someone we've admired. And I'm guilty of this. Aspiring preachers, they want to be like Billy Graham. Or maybe you women would like to be like Mother Teresa. Just an unending love and the ability to reach so many people. Maybe you're a singer and you want to be like someone famous. You ever heard of Bono? You know, I mean, he's done more than, I think, anybody else in the secular music world. You want to be someone like that. He took his fame and fortune to start an orphanage in a third world country. And you think, how much more effective would I be with Jesus Christ? If only I had the opportunities that he had. Don't get me wrong. It's not a bad thing to have desires of your heart that are for the kingdom of God. It's, it's, not, it's, it's a good thing to have those visions and dreams. But we have to, a reality is that we need to be using what's in our hands. But sometimes it seems like it's just a dream and you can't, you can't see any clear way to get to what the godly desires that are in your heart, your talents that you have and you're using that are in your hand don't even come close to meet up to the miracle that is in your heart. And I'm trying to tell you that it's normal. I want you to see what Ephesians 3 says. Ephesians 3.11, he says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. 
also he has put eternity in the hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. Man, that's an amazing scripture. I want to give it to you again out of the Amplified Bible. It should be on the screen. Look at it here. He says, He has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. He has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Yet man cannot find out, comprehend, or grasp what God has done, his overall plan from the beginning to the end. People, this is so true. We can't, sometimes it seems like we're just spinning our wheels doing the same little thing that we do week after week, and I just don't see where it's going, and sometimes we'll even feel like maybe we're, I'm just being used, I'm, I'm just tired, I'm tired of making breakfast all the time, and nobody says thank you, I'm tired of, you know, I watch the kids, I go down there every week, and, and it's just, it, it, where's it going? Trust me, it is. It is going. A planted sense of purpose is in our hearts. A divine planted sense of purpose. This is how we know there is a purpose, and it is much greater than we can even imagine. This is what gives us the drive to serve right here and right now, right where we're at. This is what gets me up every morning, and it gets me going. We sometimes have no idea how God is using what's in our hands today to take us where we are going for tomorrow. But I want you to think about this. Remember the story of Moses? I know you do, but this particular part. Moses was talking to that burning bush. That's pretty incredible all by itself, right? I mean, the bush is burning and talking to him. Wow. But Moses, in Exodus 10, excuse me, Exodus 4, verse 10. No, I don't want to go there. Exodus 4, 1. I'm sorry. Okay, Exodus 4, 1. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose, because God is telling him, let me set it up a little better than I did. God is telling him, okay, you're going to go get my children. You're going to go get all my kids. They're going to follow you. And Moses is going, me? I'm the guy that killed an Egyptian guy and ran off and hid for 40 years. Now you're telling me I'm going to go back? He says, yes, I've prepared you. I've planned you. This is the purpose. And so then Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not. Wrong verse. He says, but purpose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has never appeared to you. Say, I'm going to go and talk to the, all these Israelites, and they're going to say, who do you think you are, Moses? You've been hiding in the desert for 40 years. We thought you were dead. Who, 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 how is he going to do that? And the Lord said to him, said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a rod. He had a staff, a rod in his hand. I'm going to paraphrase the rest of it. He says, what am I going to do with this, God? 
What, hit them with it? What, 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 am I, what is this going to do, God? Do you remember what happened? God said, throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground. That turned into a snake. And then God said, pick it up. <laughs> that had to be a big snake. You wouldn't have caught me bending down there to grab that snake. But when he did, it turned right back into a staff. And then God said to Moses, put your hand under your garment. So Moses did. He said, pull it out. He pulled it out, and it was all leprous, white, full of leprosy. He said, now put it back under, and he put it back under. He said, now pull it back out, and it was clean. It was clear. He said, trust me, they're going to believe you. I give you some tools here. I gave you what's in your hand. That's the point that we're looking at is God gave Moses what was in his hand, but Moses still argued with him. Now look at verse 10. I've been so hard trying to get to it. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow in speech and slow in tongue. Man, do I ever relate to this scripture. I thought there's no way. There's no way. When God first put a calling on my life to, to go into the ministry, I couldn't read. Maybe a second grade level at best. Because I'm dyslexic. That's why everything's in 14. So I can see it. So it's big. And I still get mixed up and I still turn words around. You've seen me do it. And I said, God, how can I do this if I can't read? I feel Moses' pain here. He says, I can't even talk clearly. So the Lord said to him, verse 11, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, the blind? Have I not the Lord? Verse 12, Therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. But he said, Oh Lord, please buy the hand of whomever else you may send. And God got angry at this point. Not so much that he didn't strike him dead. But he said, okay, okay, okay. I'll send your brother Aaron out. He'll meet you halfway across the desert. He'll talk for you. He's a Levite. He talks to people all the time. Go ahead. And so Moses finally responded. Interestingly enough, when you get into the life of Moses, he used Aaron really quite little because God gave him the ability to talk. He gave him the ability to speak before Pharaoh and before all the people. It's an amazing story. But what did God do? God said, use what's in your hand. All God requires of us is to use what's already in our hands. He will supply whatever ability he needs you to have. And that's the truth of the gospel. I tell you, it's the truth of Jesus Christ. He will give you whatever you need to have. Sometimes we're looking for a calling that lines up with a purpose that's in our heart. But truly, I believe God is saying to you, what's in your hand? You know, I want this big ministry. Yeah, but what's in your hand? I, I want to be able to do this with the youth. What's in your hand today? This is where we begin with what we have. What do you like? What do you enjoy? What are your gifts and talents? He's not going to have you do something you hate. 
These women that do these beautiful blankets, what an amazing gift and talent that is. I can't do that. Wouldn't even begin to try. They're using what's in their hands. And you think, well, what's that blanket going to do? You know, it's just a blanket. It's going to warm some teenager on a cold night who heard about this God that we serve, who knows that we prayed over this blanket, And maybe at some point this person will cry out to God and say, God, I need you, whoever represents this play. I need that God. Would you please respond to me? That may be the next Billy Graham. And it's all by the hands of the precious people that built the blanket. We've got to learn to use what's in our hands. And quite honestly, I think this church does this very well. I know we all have dreams, even a vision of what we want to be. It's very possible this is exactly where God has taken you. But we can't see it through what we have in our hands, what little bit we have in our hands. And this is where people get discouraged. They've been serving, using their abilities, whatever they are, But rather than seeing the process and learning and growing, they begin to feel like they have no purpose and no direction. And I'm telling you, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Maybe your job is to pray for me. And I need that. We all have callings and jobs to do. These people, they can't see the difference of what they have in their hands to do as a part of what God is doing to fulfill what's in all of our hearts. We spend so much time searching for that calling. We're waiting for that still, small voice to tell us, hey, this is God, George. This is what I want you to do. And how he did that with me, he said, use what's in your hands. Use what's in your hand. What are you doing? When I really started looking at ministry, I said, well, Lord, I'm working on motorcycles. He said, great, use what's in your hands. How can you minister to that? I had these kids that were going out to the racetrack, racing their little motorcycle. And I thought, well, Lord, I guess I can go out there. And I did. And it became a ministry. Ten years of following the racetrack around, setting up chapel, having church services out at the racetrack. I was using what was in my hands. At the time, I had no idea it was going to lead to pastoral ministry. But God knew what he was doing. He was planning and preparing and working things out. We spend so much time searching, waiting for that voice to tell us what to do. And he's saying, what do you have in your hands? What are you good at? What do you enjoy? What ability do you have that unquestionably is you? Something that you're good at. We think these things are just normal, even sometimes boring. You know, Pastor, I, I make cakes. That's, that's just what I do. I make cakes. But I'm searching for a ministry that will take me higher and, and reach more of the world. And I said, wait, wait, how do you know that the cake you made, you gave to the neighbor lady, and that neighbor lady seen opportunity with that cake to go feed a homeless person, and, and with that had the ability and the time to minister to that homeless person, and that homeless person accepted the Lord, and it was all through your cake. 
It's not in vain. It's a gift and a talent. It's an ability that God's given you. And we need to see it as God's gifts that we're using. We don't know where God's taking what we do, what we're good at. We tend to think these things are normal, but they're not. We tend to think that God's never going to use me, but he is. Because it's what's in your hand. I shared this with you before, but it's been a long time, and there's few that are new that haven't heard this story. And in the last years of my mom's life, I took care of her for probably the last years of her life. And in the last year and a half, she had to be put in a, a rest home because I, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't leave her. I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore, so I put her into a rest home. It was hard, but, but she was okay. And she, they put her in a room with this precious lady named Wilma. I don't remember Wilma's last name. But Wilma was not in a coma, but she didn't speak. She laid flat on her back in the bed, and her eyes would open. And sometimes you could see her follow you with her eyes, but most of the time not. Just she's breathing. And the, and the nurses would come in and pick Wilma up, and I'd have to leave the room. They would take care of Wilma and clean her and everything, and they'd put her down, and they would take her and feed her. And, and uh, every day I would go to the rest home to be with my mother, and my mother was so, would get so depressed because she'd say, I'm not doing anything for the Lord here. I said, Mom, you're praying for me, right? Yes, I pray for you daily. Then that's your job. She goes, no, I'm not doing anything. And so when I would see that she was feeling this way, I would sing to her the happy song. Just a little song that she taught me. Don't know where it came from. I don't know if she made it up. Don't think she did. But I never heard it anywhere else. And so we begin to sing the happy song. And at first course, she was kind of blah, blah, blah. And the second time we think through, she would get a little louder. And the third time, she'd sing it a little more, and, and I'd see a smile, and I'd see her face begin to glow, because everything was working up here, just the body wasn't working. It's like being trapped in your own body. And she would begin to see the Spirit of God would begin to move through her. The song went like this, happy, 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 happy in the Lord. Praise God, I'm born again and trusting in his word. I almost want to cry every time I hear it. Just want you to know how happy I am. I am happy, happy, happy in the Lord. And we'd sing it over and over again. And one day, she was so depressed, thinking she wasn't doing anything for God. And we sang that song vigorously by the end of it. And we quit singing and we laughed and I hugged her and Wilma sitting next door that never sang said, happy, happy, happy. I ran out of there and I got a nurse. I said, Wilma just talked. She said, no, Wilma, I said, no, she just talked. And she came in and she goes, what did she say? I said, happy, happy, happy. She said, why? I said, because we were singing a happy song. She goes, well, tell me the happy song. So we taught her the happy song. Next thing we knew, there were nurses going up and down the hallways singing the happy song. You tell me, Mom, you're not doing anything for the Lord. It's what's in your hands. 
It's that song. It's what God's given you and you use it. You have no idea who it's going to touch, who it's, who it's going to affect. It's so important. It's so important that we remember James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and come down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He sees it all. With God, there is no darkness. There is no darkness. God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't make you one way and then use you in a completely different way unless he's got a plan in it. He knows what he's doing. Whatever you have in your hand is all that he's asking for. Your gifts, your abilities may seem boring or mundane, but I promise you, you keep using them, they will lead you to what's in your heart. Sometimes the things we have in our hands seem like they come with such responsibility. They, they could cause us to become anxious. We, some, we might even sometimes despise what we have. Because what we have in our hearts, it seems to be like so romantic, so large, so much more than this. They're good and they're noble. But we get stressed out doing what we think is unimportant. What's in your hand is every day. It's familiar. But it's what is in your heart that is awesome and big and miraculous and marvelous. Look at how God came into the world. At the time, the Greeks, they were looking into the skies. They, they were expecting to see something in the skies. They were astrologers. They were, they were looking in the skies, looking for something, a God in the skies, a majesty. The Jews were looking for a sign, a miracle of a working king that would come and take everybody over. What did they get? They got a baby boy in a manger. That's what they got. And many of them missed it. You know why? It was ordinary. I mean, you know, we think the story is pretty special, and it is pretty special. Jesus was born in a manger. Do you think that's ever happened before? They, they were in the poorest country of the region. I'm sure Jesus wasn't the only baby ever born in a manger. To them, it was like, all right, this baby born in a manger, they said, is the next Messiah. Yeah, right. It was in their hands, but they couldn't see it for what it was. It was the God of the universe. Came like a baby. And there's no way that we could see what he was going to be and what he was going to do. A baby boy in a manger. It seemed so unimportant and so normal at the time. I'm telling you, it wasn't normal, but it seemed so normal. Like the things we do, this we take them for granted. It's just so normal. And it's a gift from God. And all he's asking for us is to use what's in our hands. He'll take it further from where we go from there. Could I get Manny to come and help me with communion? Could I get uh, Jim and Tim? And Tony, please. Yeah, sit right here.
Thank you, brother. Well, I got you by 12. I'll try to hurry. God is so good. He he went to the cross. But prior to the cross, he was brutally beaten and bruised and broken. No bones, but his flesh. And, and honestly, the disciples at this time, they, they didn't get it. They didn't have the book. Like, we can read the end of the book. We could see what was happening, but they couldn't. They ran. And I don't blame them. I probably would have ran too. They didn't know what was happening. Jesus, just prior to this, this day, he sat with them and he broke bread and he said, this is my body that is going to be broken for you. And I'm sure they were whispering, saying, Manny, is that what he said? Is, is, that, is that what he said? It doesn't make any sense. But we know. Heavenly Father, as we take our little cracker, we want it to represent what you've done for us. This is your body. In Jesus' name, take it and pass it out to the people, please.